Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to continue our discussion of the question of origins. Why is that important? Well, if we try to instill the faith in our children, the faith finds its foundation in belief in God as our creator. Now, because of the impact of evolution being so dominant in our culture and universities and schools, a lot of religious folks try to then to say, well, let's just worship God as our redeemer and kind of keep quiet as the creator part. And really, in the scripture, in the creeds, in the catechism, the two really go together and we separate them at the expense of our young people's faith. Now, last time you heard me talk about theistic evolution, I am not a fan of it. Although it might have been well-intentioned uh, as a way to try to reconcile Christianity with the overwhelming impact of evolution in the 1950s, this is no longer the case. We don't need theistic evolution anymore because theistic evolution is really evolution with an adjective added on, and it really leads to modernism despite having a pious-sounding adjective. So I can guarantee you theistic evolution isn't convincing to today's young people. We need something a whole lot better. Now, many Catholics and in secular classrooms all teach the Big Bang. Uh, let me tell you how I taught the Big Bang to my youth group. We gathered on Wednesday nights, and I asked a couple of kids to make little houses out of popsicle sticks. A bunch of the kids saved up their popsicle sticks and then glued them together and made little popsicle stick houses. You've probably seen those. So I said, we're going to talk about the Big Bang, how the origin of all things came about with great design and evolved to you know, the complexity we see in a modern world. So we're going to take these little popsicle houses, and I put them in a metal trash can. And my youth group was back in the day when M80s really had a punch. The M80s today, believe me, don't have the punch that they had back then. Might have even used a couple of M80s and put the popsicle houses in the metal trash can, put one or two M80s in, closed the lid, and boom, the top went flying off. And I emptied the contents and order and complexity did not come from the Big Bang. It was rather simple. And yet we all pretend uh, that everything came from a, a Big Bang. That's the God of the evolutionist, the Big Bang. My son was in a community college classroom and origins were being discussed. And the professor said everything came from the Big, big Bang. And he asked a very good question, well, where did the matter for the Big Bang come from? And the teacher professor said, well, we'll, we'll discuss that next semester. And he had her the next semester, and for some reason they forgot to cover that, okay? So when you were talking about theistic evolution, it's the idea that God made the first matter and then allowed or created the Big Bang, and then evolution 
took over. Really? Is that Christianity? Is that Judaism? Um, here's something that's grossly overlooked by those advocating theistic evolution. God, in our creeds and in the Bible, is the creator of all things. Nowhere does it say or indicate or even hint that he is just a creator of matter and the Big Bang and evolution is the, is the cause of all the wondrous design we see throughout the universe. No, God is the creator of all things, not just first matter. For instance, in the Nicene Creed, we say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And you go a little further down in the Nicene Creed. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, through him, all things were made. If you want to pull the rug out under God the Father and in Jesus Christ, just say, well, he just created matter or allowed the Big Bang to happen and then then retired. No, that wasn't the case. He made all things. And so when Christians attempt to promote the belief that God isn't the direct creator of all things, they contradict not just Genesis 1 and 2 and not just the creed, which I just cited to you, but they contradict multiple scriptures that speak of God, not just as creator, but specifically as creator of all things. And I have a free handout for you. It's about three pages long, and these are scriptures throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments, that God is the creator. And I would say two-thirds of the scriptures in this handout are speaking explicitly of God as the creator of all things. And that handout is free to you. Just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com and say, send me the Bible verses for God as creator. Here's some samples. And notice, I'm going to begin with Revelation chapter 4. There is a connection between belief in creator and worshiping our redeemer and creator. It's a package deal. You cut one out and you're slicing up Christianity. But here we go. Revelation 4. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for or because thou hast created all things. This is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Follow me three times, all things. You can't miss it. It says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. 
How about the apostles? You know, right now the world seems to be influencing Christians more than Christians influencing the world. Maybe it's because our preaching and our homilies and our teaching and our broadcasts and our articles and our books are missing a dynamic. Acts chapter 4, they lifted up their voice to God. This is the early Christians with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then you go and say, well, what about if you're bunch with a bunch of really sophisticated intellectuals? What would you say then? Well, what you would say is what St. Paul said in Acts chapter 17 when he was in Athens. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you too are superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, kind of like the God of the Big Bang, whom therefore you ignorantly worship and him declare, I declare unto you, God that made the world and all things therein. See, this is apostolic preaching. Now, how about if we wanted to uh, have spiritual renewal? One of the great books of the Old Testament, and you think, well, what's in the Old Testament for spiritual renewal? Well, how about the whole people of God in the Old Testament were judged by God, led into deportation to another pagan empire, and then finally allowed to return and begin to rebuild their entire life together. And it began their rebuilding, their spiritual renewal in the book of Nehemiah. And this is what book of Nehemiah chapter nine says. Thou, even thou art God alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. Thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worships thee. This is spiritual renewal. This is how it begins. How about when things go haywire, the opposite of renewal? What happens when it seems that a Christian culture collapses? How, how would that begin? As I've said many times, but it bears repeating because it's being lived out in our day, the second half of the first chapter of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans says that the invisible things from creation of the world are clearly seen. This, isn't, this doesn't take a PhD in science to figure out that this just didn't happen. And we understand the creator by the visible things we see. But it says because they knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God. How? Denied him as creator of all things. And what happened? They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. And 
their sexual morality was exhibit A of a darkened mind that resulted from denying God as creator of all things. You can't skate this. So this is, this is where the, 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 the ways part, so to speak. This is where you can have spiritual renewal, and I'm talking about very solid spiritual renewal, or you can go to decline and you think, well, we're just going to worship God, but we're going to leave the creator stuff in a very minor key, let the evolutionists maintain the ground of how we came to be, and we'll go ahead and, and have our happy time as Christians, and it won't be happy time, and particularly with our young people, this is where they're falling away. So again, I welcome you to request your absolutely free three-page handout of verses, about three-quarters of them or two-thirds of them, specifically saying God is the creator of all things. When we're talking about God as creator, we're not just talking about Genesis 1 and 2. This is through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So request your free copy, askthehost at gmail.com. You should be aware that there's a new group, fairly new group, called Biologos that is spending millions of dollars and spreading theistic evolution in some new fangled terminology to colleges, universities, and seminaries. It's being funded by the Templeton Foundation and others, and they're going into both Protestant and Catholic colleges and universities, uh, hoodwinking, Uh, both professors and students. And when this happens, just remember, when this happens, the mind is darkened. And it will seem like we're on the cutting edge of science and everything else, and it's just simply not the case. So I want to ask the question. Now we're coming back to my title of this broadcast, and it's a title talking about two things you probably never heard in the perspective I'm about to give to you. But the wedge and the shepherd's pace. Those two things are my answers to the question of how do we reach the next generation of Christians with God as both creator and redeemer, not downplaying one and trying to maintain the other, but keeping both on solid footing. And what is the best way to drive a wedge in evolution's hold over the minds of both Protestants and Catholics? This is a critical factor because if we kind of like ignore this and and really hope it doesn't interfere too much and we just simply say there's no conflict between faith and reason, and there isn't, Uh, There's no conflict between faith and science, and there isn't, as long as you mean true science. But remember, young people are being brainwashed in false science. So what do they think when they hear of science? It's not what perhaps you would like them to think. So how do we open their minds to the truth of God as creator? Now, if you've listened to me for a while, you know that I recommend— intelligent design for teaching young people how to 
kind of split the logjam that's in our culture and is in right in the middle of our church. It's in many, if not most, of our schools. It's in our Catholic universities. How do you open up the modern mind as creator of heaven and earth? And I regularly get emails, very kind emails from supportive listeners hearing me talk about intelligent design and criticize theistic evolution and assume that perhaps I don't know about the creationist uh, perspective like the good folks at the Colby Center is offering. Now, here's what I want to share with you, <laughs> okay? I'm well aware of the creationist movement, and I have been reading creationist literature for the past 50 years, okay? Not too many on the Catholic media have been doing it that long. Way back in 1972, I got out of the Navy, went to an Assembly of God college. I was in an Old Testament class, and I knew I was either 13 or 14 years old. I lost my faith over just just this, you know, didn't hear a single reason, not one single reason why I should believe that God was creator of heaven and earth. So I was in an Old Testament class, and for maybe 10 minutes, the Old Testament professor, who was academically very well qualified, said there's a couple of schools of thought over here that believe that God really created the world. And I was fascinated but he passed over them so quickly. There was no assigned reading. It was just presented like these people exist. And then I heard the most unbelievable thing. There was a creationist uh, scientist by the name of Dr. Henry Morris that was coming to our community. This was in Southern California. And he was going to debate a professor of science from the University of California. I, I thought, I really have to see this. And I went, um, I think I was the only one from my college that went, and I have to confess beforehand, I felt really sorry for Dr. Morris. I didn't know him or know anything about him, but I felt, man, is he gonna get slaughtered? And I had inclinations that there could be something to this idea that God created the world. Again, I didn't have any reasons for it, but I just thought, just, just just, kind of like a void in the way I was raised and what my church presented to me, and now what my conservative evangelical college was presenting to me. So I went to hear the debate. I couldn't believe what I heard. Dr. Morris had this professor stunned, almost reduced to silence by the break in the debate, you know, like at halftime. And I was a college student, didn't have a whole lot of money, but I went back to Dr. Morris's book table and emptied my wallet on the resources like, here it is. I never knew that there were actually scientists who believed that God created the world. And of course, I bought a copy of The Genesis Flood by Dr. Henry Morris and Dr. John Whitcomb. It was the book that launched the modern creationist movement. Now, for me, it didn't stop there. I mean, moving back to Florida, I was involved in school board politics over creationism. We were trying to introduce a two-model approach to origins, 
that a teacher would present both creation and evolution, not taking one side, but faithfully present both perspectives and allow the students to decide. And very interesting, I had a teacher friend who actually did this in social science class. And in Florida, at least at that time, um, classes were stratified, those kind of struggling learners and the group in the middle, and then kind of like an honors type group. Well, the honors group clearly preferred creationism to the evolutionist model, um, but it didn't get real, real far. I've read Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox books on creation. I've met and had discussions with Ken Ham, if anybody knows of him. Uh, I was friends with Jerry Keene, who the Colby Foundation still distributes his book. I think he was one of the early creationist books from a Catholic perspective. Now, having said all that, <laughs> with 50 years experience with creationism, and I have no beef with creationists, unlike many Catholic radio hosts, okay? But there are two reasons why I believe intelligent design is the best way to win over the minds of the coming generation. I did an interview with Dr. Philip Johnson. I actually did two interviews with him. He's now passed away, but this was back in the year 2000 and 2004, and he came out with a book entitled The Wedge. And in fact, he was one of the founders of the intelligent design movement. He was a professor of law, and he would use rigorous logic and rules of evidence to present the idea that God has created with intelligent design the world, and he wanted to actually name, an early name for the intelligent design movement was the wedge, and this is what he said. Imagine you are driving down a narrow road with a cliff on one side and a precipice on the other, and when you find that a large, thick log blocks the way forward. The log is too heavy to lift and there is no way around it. If you're going to proceed, you must find some way to split the log into segments so you can move the barrier out of the way. Fortunately, this can be done. The log seems solid, but there are bound to be cracks, some of which penetrate deep into the interior. What you need to do is insert the thin edge of a wedge into the most profound crack and gradually drive the broader parts of the wedge into the log until the crack widens and the log is split. This log, in this metaphor, is the ruling philosophy of modern culture. It's the evolutionist view of modernism. And what he is trying to do is using the arguments from intelligent design to crack a wedge in the hold that evolution has over our culture. And by this, you know, we're not talking about winning over maybe 1% of the Catholic population. You know, we need to win a generation. And because of this, and this is just something personal that 
kind of hit me many years ago and actually makes a lot more sense now since I don't know if you're aware, but I think I'm only I'm the only Catholic radio host that also happens to be a shepherd. In Genesis 32, Jacob and Esau reunite with each other. And Esau says, come, let's take our journey and let's get going. And Jacob says, the children are tender and the flocks and herds with the young are with me. And if men should overdrive them in one day, all the flock will die. I will lead on softly, according as the cattle goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come to my Lord unto Seir. So you see what's needed is not to have people go at your pace or my pace, but go at the pace of the children in the lands. In other words, what is best for them to break the hold of evolution in their minds? And I realize people might disagree with me. I am friends with creationists, as I say. I've been with it and in it and fought for it for 50 years. But I believe the way to break the logjam is with a wedge and not a sledgehammer in order that we might free the minds, especially of younger Christians. Now, the best source of this, I have read hundreds, if not a few thousand pages of intelligent design and creationist materials. The very best thing that I could recommend for young people as a wedge, particularly those, I would say, uh, maybe bright sophomores in high school, juniors in high school, and absolutely before they go to college, go to Amazon Prime Video and put in, Does God Exist? with Stephen Meyer. Now, our donors got this DVD seven years ago. It's no longer available for sale, and I'm really upset over that. But you can get this on Amazon Prime Video. You have to pay for it. It's well worth it. And it's 10 30-minute segments. Uh, I would recommend five pizza nights in your home. Don't make your child sit down watching by him or herself. Invite the friends over. Have pizza. And then show a couple of episodes per night. And I can guarantee you, your young people will not be left in the position that I was, both by my family and my church and my culture, of not having one reason to believe that God is the creator of heaven and earth and all things in them. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 391 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.